0: Hi, it's Johnny, and welcome to the Good Media Podcast. Sorry there hasn't been an episode in a long time. We are working on restructuring the podcast to create more consistent and better quality episodes, so we'll be looking out for that in the future. Anyway, this week, we've got something a little bit different. We've got one of Devante's Sunday messages here. Next week, we'll have the next following part up on Saturday morning, so we'll be looking out for that in the future. Anyway, enjoy. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Devante. Peter did it to me. He set me up. But that's all right, you know, because <laughs> next week it's all him. <laughs> we, we are in a really good series. Uh, before I start on that, I just came back from the University of Virginia, and um, I woke up at like 4.30 this morning because I st- I'm still on East Coast time, and I am like tired. So I'm back to sleep, but I still woke up at 6, um, uh, made my morning coffee, listened to my morning music, and really thought about this. If I was to just act like I didn't wake up, I wouldn't have to do this. That didn't work. Yesterday I was on my flight. If you remember last year when I went on this trip, I, um, I had to, I, we went to the wrong airport, it was a whole thing. I, I didn't know if I was going to be back to preach the message the, the next day. This year, I didn't have a seat assigned when I went to my flight. I was sitting in the airport and everybody left. Jeremiah started to wait until he heard the final boarding call and then he said, I guess I have to go. The last thing I saw him do to me as he walked in was a peace sign as he walked into the jetway or whatever. I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, boy God, you are so gracious that you would allow me to sleep in this airport tonight and I would not have to preach this sermon. <laughs> I would take a nice night rest and into more. I was like, maybe I could call CJ because he might could get me a free flight on Alaska to Seattle, but why would I do that? Because then i will have to preach that sermon. So I would, go lay, I would lay down in this airport on the ground with somebody's blanket on top of me and sleep. That didn't happen. Actually, I got bumped to premium class, and I had, I had all the room that I needed to work on my sermon. <laughs> so clearly, God wanted me to preach this sermon. I still was contemplating it. Maybe he wanted me to speak to the guy on the side of me about Jesus and not work on my sermon. Turn to the guy. He's, in Se- he's from Seattle. He's a teacher, and this is what happened. He said, oh, yeah, you, you're, you're going to preach tomorrow? Like, what's your sermon about? I go to First Baptist Church of Seattle. Oh, so he's a Christian, too. So really, it's not really no evangelism going on here. I submit. I just will work on the sermon. Got the sermon done and realized that, you know, this is a good topic to talk about. As we engage with kingdom ministry, is what I call it, just like a kingdom heart, um, and a kingdom mindset as we continue to live on our purpose to glorify God in all that we do. As kingdom people, we want to live a life that's blameless before the Lord only by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us so that we can be called righteous only by what Christ has done for us. This is why we live as kingdom people, all for the glory of God. I'm going to tell you a little story. If we can pull up this guy's story here. It's It's a story about a young guy who about at the age of nine years old started to wrestle with sexuality. And what is that? And like what this is all about. Never had an upbringing on what it is. Never really had anybody to talk to him about it. He grew, up in the, and he grew up in a society where the society dictates how we should live and how, what is popular and how to make yourself popular. And society at the time had a really big shift into a place where sexuality has become an open thing that anybody could do whatever they feel like at any time. He grew up in a place where his parents didn't talk to him about this. Bear in mind, they didn't even give him an example of this. And so he did not know what sexuality was like. At the age of 13, he got into his first sexual encounter. And from then, had six partners straight throughout. This guy was, I'm telling you, broken by sexual sin. Matter of fact, he had no respect for women because he didn't understand what respect for women looked like. Matter of fact, women were supposed to just be a companion and never really have a relationship because that didn't matter because that's not what he saw. It's so sad because this boy didn't understand the value of purity. Didn't make sense to him. And he is so broken and so ashamed, he would never share it with anyone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, go with us in this message. Help us to really wrestle through these tough things and really get to the hard issue. God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. You my pray. Amen. As we deal with the, with the topic of adultery, we're going to have to first ask the question, what is adultery? The Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible defines adultery as this. Biblical adultery is a breach of, of the one flesh relationship of marriage. It describes any act of sexual inter- intercourse between a married woman and a man other than her husband. And all sexual intercourse involving a married man and, a, and another man's wife or fiancé. I want you to hold in your, in your mind That word, breach. Adultery, I would argue, not only means, not only is in marriage. When we look at the word adultery and that definition says anything that breaches or anything that comes between the marriage bed, anything that comes between or violates that one flesh relationship. That means any sexual immorality at all violates what God has intended for marriage So adultery in a sense that anything encompasses that goes against what God has designed sex to be like commits this exact sin. The Merriam-Webster dictionary as it talks about the separation of fornication and all other sexual immorality as it pertains to adultery says this. "In, In legal use there's a difference between adultery and fornication. See the word adultery deals with specifically the legal Thing that's done. You broke a legal law when you commit adultery and a legal law when you commit fornication. Two different laws. But the problem of adultery still remains the same. It's a heart issue. It actually goes in to show us that adultery, and we see what Jesus is doing in the text here today, adultery goes straight to the heart and it cuts straight to the heart of what's being done in our own hearts. And that's what fornication, adultery, or whatever sexual immorality comes from. I think in our passage today, Jesus goes specifically to show us what is in our hearts. Jesus actually goes beyond action. We see that he actually goes in a place where he says, I'm going to go far beyond the action. No, you say that you have not even slept with a woman other than your wife. But guess what? If you even look at a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. We have some people believing that it's okay to walk around and actually live a life that because they don't practice this thing of adultery, it's okay to look or entice yourselves or bring yourself into a lustful action like it's okay. It's so amazing because we have people that take this sin for granted and not realize the weight of their own sin. And so what happens is they end up just saying that because I'm not in the act or because I'm not doing it with another person, it's not that serious. But then we realize that James tells us in, in James 1.15 that when we give in to the desires of our heart or give in to this lust, it says in 15, then after desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. This is so serious that this sin, if it's fully grown, can, I would say, give a spiritual deadness to especially a believer, if they don't take it seriously. But we have the people on the other end, right? They don't, they don't think that they struggle with it, and they, take this, they are willing to condemn all people that do. You, uh, you've met, you get with a person, you meet with a person, and you see that they struggle with this, and you start to condemn them. You start to make preconceived notions about that person. I heard a story about how Christian people would, would, would saw a girl, and she was wearing a short skirt. It was so short, it's not even a whole skirt, so it's just called a skirt. It's that short. <laughs> and she was wearing a short skirt. And in that, we see that people condemned her. In her heart, she just wanted to be known and be seen. And so when boys start to flirt with her and do these different things to her, she started to pull down this skirt. Like she could add uh, more materials to it, but it, can't, it didn't happen. And the church people look at that and what they would do is bring forth a legalistic act. Either two things are going to happen. When I heard this preacher say, you would, you'll see either you're going to beat on her and cause her to go into a legalistic mode and all the actions, nothing changed in the heart, just an action would change or she's going to rebel against the church. But what about the guy who comes in church and says that, "I struggle with pornography? Bear in mind, the statistics tell us that 68 percent of men inside the church. Now you have to also realize with this statistic that they don't a lot of people hold shame and they don't tell us. So this is only from the people that tell us. And that's 68 percent that is known struggle with some type of sexual sin that they don't want. But here, this statistic: 25 percent of women struggle with it as well, that we know of. We've shamed the sin so much that people are not willing to open up about their stories. People are not willing to tell us the truth and the struggles that's going on in their lives. And I find, I find them actually running away from the church because they do not know that Jesus is gracious and willing to forgive them. We use seeing passages like this and beat on people. And we tell them that they, are, they, they, they have no place here if they don't get their act together. Rather than tell them, come to Jesus and let him fix their act. But this is actually a little bit different than we actually think. The Greek word for lust actually means to have a great desire. I don't think the passage is telling us here that if you glance at something or even look at something and think it's attractive, that you've committed the sin. But it is when you find it that you want it. Open up yourself. A good example, I've heard of this, is that when you open the door for saying that I am okay if you're okay, you're then committing this. You're drawing someone to you. You're saying that, guess what? I'm not going to make the action, but if this person who I'm lusting after comes to me and say yes, I will do it. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-8 through eight tells us this. Hold on, I'm going ahead of myself. Let's back up a bit. It's amazing because after we get into the, the place of this, I'm I surprised I missed this actually. It's funny, you're going to see why in a second. I think I know why I jumped this. Um, it's amazing because we, <laughs> we see that, that that people take this thing very lightly and don't take it seriously. And they realize that loss is this entice But it I, I hit my mind. When I first started to, to, to date Grace, oh she's going to kill me. In September, I think it was September 17th, Grace, correct me if I'm wrong, we're heading to Spokane where I had a preaching engagement on the 18th. Maybe I got it back. The 16th, I had a preaching on the 17th at a Chapel Hill, um, um, not Chapel Hill, uh, Chapel in Spokane. And I said this, I'm going to tell Grace everything that I've ever done in my whole entire life in this car ride and she can't run away from me. <laughs> and so uh, we, get on, we get on the freeway, we're driving and then I, I'm going to wait, see if I, if I did it when we we're on I-5, we could still turn around. So I wait till we're definitely on I-90 and we're on our way through the past and then I mention it. There's no backing out now. Well, I had, I had, I had this thought in mind. Like I might as well tell her everything right now so she, when we go back, she can just leave and never talk to me again. Or she's going to say, you know, do the, the, the gracious thing. Her name is Grace, so I'm assuming that. <laughs> but then actually, it was actually, something clicked my mind because not only after I shared, she then opened up and shared. And it was a sharing time in this car. And we realize that as we go forth into this this, this if we go forth into this relationship, we're gonna have to set some boundaries and different things in our lives to stop us from stumbling in places that we may have gone before. Matter of fact, it's so amazing because Jesus tells us in, in our same passage that if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. But he made it specific. He said if your right hand, the hand of power, or your right eye, the eye of power, causes you to sin, pluck it out. So even if your eye which is from power, causes you to sin, remove it. Of course, Jesus is talking in hyperbole here. He's not saying, go home and pluck out your eyes. I don't want to see people coming next week to church with no eyes. This is not what Jesus is saying in this text. He's saying that if you see things that can cause you to stumble, remove it because this is serious and it can cause destruction. Me and Grace are not perfect by no means, and I'm not saying that we could be perfect and we're this big, great, perfect couple. Although we lustfully go after being perfect, we are not perfect. So yes, we have a great desire to be perfect, and we, 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 we want to make ourselves believe that we have us all together. I'm going to let you know right now that we don't. And, I, and then the thing is, what we do is then we, we elevate people on a pedestal, and when they fall, we realize that they are not as perfect as we thought they were. Yes, they're not. Because Jesus is the only one that actually paints this image, and this is what the Pharisees did. They painted an image on the outside that they were perfect, but in the inside they were destructive. They didn't understand the weight of their own sin. Matter of fact, they had six hundred and thirteen laws, I think, or whatever, and they and they said, you know what? Even in the six hundred and thirteen, I when we do this in the church shoot, I'm gonna add well I mean six hundred and thirteen, I'm gonna add about six hundred and fifteen. Because I have to I have to add laws to the laws to make the laws even better. So you can imagine the people in that time, if we look, remember earlier in our pa- and earlier in, in Matthew, Jesus tell that your righteousness must succeed the Pharisees. I mean, in, in in the time that they were at, we read that and we're like, well, we could get that. These people are messed up. But in the time to those Jewish listeners, they were the most holy people you've ever seen. Jesus is pretty much telling them, You need to be more holy than Devante. <laughs> you didn't see what I did there. I'm not holy at all. <laughs> but Jesus is telling them, like, he's trying to show them that it's impossible to hold the law. First Thessalonians 4, 3-8 teaches us something about God's heart for our sanctification. It says this, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Each of you should learn how to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that is this matter that no one should should t- t- do wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all who commit such sins. As we told you and warned you before, for God did not call us in, to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects the instruction and, um, rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you the Holy Spirit. God's will for our lives, blatantly in the text, is our sanctification to flee from sexual immorality. If you remember the story in the Old Testament, there's this guy named Joseph. Joseph has an amazing story as it, as it pertains to fleeing from sexual immorality. He's a, he's, a, he's a nice, handsome guy. I can imagine Joseph looking a little bit like myself. And um, I could see myself, I could see, sorry, I could see Joseph. Um, I could see him going into Potiphar's, Potiphar's room to do some work. Potiphar's wife is there. And what happens? Potiphar's wife sees the handsome guy that looks just like Devante and says, I want him. But see, the issue with this is J- Joseph knows this is going to be a messed up situation. Joseph so much wanted to flee from sexual immorality, she grabbed onto his coat and he left the whole coat. I believe that Joseph would have run out there naked if he had to because he didn't want to be part of that. But it's amazing because she twists the whole story and if you read more on the story, man, this lady was messed up. She accused him of rape. He tried to rape me. Poor Joseph. Got arrested from there and we see the statement that What man eats for evil, God turns for good. But I realized something. Talking about this, we we come to the understanding that now we understand we can't work our way to this purity. It's something deeper that's going on in our lives. Adultery is a hard issue. It goes straight to the heart and it's something that comes out of the heart. Remember in, math, in Matthew 15, Jesus, the Pharisees came to Jesus and said this, then some, it's a, then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Why does your disciples do things that, that, that the religious people don't do? You know those things like eating with eating with um, tax collectors and sinners, but they, this is the example they use. They don't wash their hands before they eat. I break that law yesterday. Jesus replied, and, uh, Jesus replied, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? If you know a little bit about me, I actually like tradition. Um, I believe that... Uh, we should all wear robes and collars as pastors. Um, we should process up the aisle with a cross. Um, we need some altar boys, altar girls. I think that it's great. I like that stuff. just amazed me. Some people don't think so, but I'm like, Peter, we got to have to get the robe thing going on. <laughs> I was thinking about wearing my robe this morning, but it's, it, it, I just like, this might freak people out. They're like, what's this weird guy wearing this big robe up here? But I just love robes. But I realized that I can't let my tradition get through what Christ has done in my life. So he said this, for God said, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might be, sorry, that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God. So what's happening here is they're saying that the things that were supposed to be with their father and mother, we have to give it to God. We're going to forget about our father and mother and give to God. Jesus is showing them how they're not even holding their own law. It goes on to say, it goes on uh, um, later and it says, these, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are, are merely human rules. And Jesus called, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and, and asked, do you know that, that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Of course they were. Matter of fact, in our own Christian circles, we find ourselves offended when people go against our own traditions. We know we have traditions in our own, in our own society. I right here in One Hope, we have a very good tradition. It's called starting late. <laughs> and then talking too much after the Gershayan of the Beast. But when someone wants to break our tradition and tell us we have two minutes to share the piece instead of nine minutes, we get a little bit funny, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) And then someone tells us that we need to start on time and we can't linger because we come here sometimes just have a social bunny. Hi, hi, how you doing? Oh, I didn't see you all week. Yada, yada, yada. And then the music starts and we're still talking. But someone wants to break our tradition, right? So we have a timer going up out there, and then nobody really looks at the timer anyway. I don't know why it's up there. I I put it there, so hey, don't blame me. And I'm trying to get this thing to start on time, and we realize that when we break our tradition, it kind of like rubs us the wrong way. I have a tradition in my my cooking. I need salt. (laughs) Grace has a tradition in her cooking. She don't need salt. When she tries to rub my tradition the wrong way, you know the tension is about to happen. Put my salt in my food. We're working on that. I'll tell you, we're not perfect. <laughs> but but the, the text continues to go on here. Jesus replied to the disciples after they said the Pharisees was offended. He says, "Every plant that my heavenly Father had not planted will be pulled up from the root." Leave them." They are blind guides. If they lead the blind, both will. When the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Then Peter asks, not this Peter but the other one, asked, "Explain this parable to us." Jesus replied and say, "Are you so dull? Don't you see that whatever enters the mu- whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then comes out of the body?" But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and that's what defiles them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands doesn't defile them. Our sins are deeply rooted in our own hearts, and that's where our sins come from. So don't think because you've never cheated on your spouse or you've never, oh, I've never slept with anybody or even I've never looked at pornography that you are without excuse. Matter of fact, Jesus didn't only mention, he didn't only mention sexual immorality, but the one thing he mentioned in there is slander. The thing that you do to people who you caught in, in, in sexual immorality, you do to them and you talk bad about their name. Don't forget that because that comes from the heart as well. Jesus is, Jesus is dealing with a hard issue. We have an issue in our heart that I believe only comes, that only can be fixed through the cross. But Jesus seems a little bit str- a little bit strong and harsh in our passions this morning. He went as far as to say that we must take out an eye or even cut off a hand, figuratively, of course. <laughs> Jesus trying to show us that we Jesus is trying to show us that we are not supposed to take our sin as a joke but with seriousness. Like John Owen said in his book, The Modification of Sin, do you, do you modify? Do you kill it? Do you put sin to death? Do you make it a daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not, day, cease not a day from work, this work of killing sin. Because, killing, because you need to be killing sin or sin will be killing you. I would like to maybe challenge you to look at Jesus' words is not harsh, but gracious. Because I really do believe that he's being gracious in this text this morning. Jesus is being gracious enough to take us out of our prideful minds as it relates to sexual sin. Jesus, want us to, Jesus wants us to recognize that, that whether you sleep around, sit in the front of a computer, uh, computer or a phone screen, or even look lustfully, you have sinned against the Lord in your heart. But wait, Look how Jesus deals with the woman caught in this very same act. In John eight two to eleven, it says this: At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law, these pharisaic people, and the Pharisees brought the woman, a woman caught in the act of adultery. They made her stand before for the group, and said to Jesus, "Teacher, this woman caught in the act of adul- this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, in the law of Moses, commanded us to stone such woman. Now, what do you—what do you want to say?" They were using this question to, as a trap in order to have a basis to, for accusing him. If you know anything about what's going to happen, right, Jesus is now being a key, uh, Jesus, they're acting Jesus' question about this woman caught in adultery, and Jesus, way, depending on which way he answered, could either be arrested, because if he does stune this woman, they're going to arrest him, or he could be accused of not holding this law that he claimed to ca- ca- claim that he came to fulfill. They're backing him up in a corner. But I want you to listen to Jesus' response to this whole situation, because I think that this is going to show us a few things about Jesus' character as it pertains to dealing with people in this very same sin. So it says this. Now what do you say? This what they say to Jesus. Then he, then they were, using, they were using this to trap him and he got down and started to write in the ground with his finger. They, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened, he straightened up, so stand up, and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin throw the first stone at her. Again, he, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to walk away at, one at a time, the older first, the older ones first, until only Jesus and the lady was left standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, wh- uh, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no, sir. Neither do I condemn you, declared Jesus. Go now and leave your life from sin. And we have to deal with some house cleaning business about the text. In, our, in the early manuscripts, this story is actually not there. And scholars have debated if this is actually supposed to be in the scriptures, and we're not going to get into all that this morning. Uh, Peter could fix that till next week. Um, uh, we, but we're going to say that it got, for some reason, God has allowed this to come down in our English Bibles today. This story today, as we stand here, this story is in our Bibles, and I think it's actually there for a purpose. See, if you understand anything, women were like this, like the woman wasn't valued very well. And when Jesus approached this woman, to, and when this woman came to Jesus and Jesus did not condemn her, one thing that Jesus did was bring her value up, saying that I'm gonna defend this woman. Jesus is showing that this this is this is the thing that's gonna break the, the, the gender sexual norms here, right? He's gonna say, I'm gonna break that to show you that this is serious. Jesus gets down and started writing in the sand, and if I if I was there, I'd have been thinking, man, I want I would want to know what he's writing in the sand, but we're not gonna get to that because the text doesn't tell us. But knowing how sarcastic Jesus is, he probably got down in the sand, he's writing and probably just like, ignoring them because he, these people really don't make sense. And it continued to press on Jesus. And Jesus gets up and said, you who have no sin, throw the first stone. Many of us are armed with our stones. If you check our gun belts, we have our stones lined up for people who lie, steal, cheat, and adultery sitting right in the backpack. I'm not waiting for finding someone as Christian. Sometimes we want to pull our stones to throw at people, and we always forget where we fall down in our own struggles. See, for me, it's me with bad drivers. Grace sent me a meme. If you don't know what that is, it's like a little picture that has this writing on it, and the picture said this: "When someone else is driving wrong." You freak out, well, this is a stupid job, this dumb idiot, you say all these different things, it's so rude. But when you make a mistake, you say, oh, sorry, <laughs> and you continue to go on. <laughs> I see that in my own life, when I'm driving, I do the exact same thing. I mean, I think people drive crazy, especially in the snow, they don't know how to drive, they're, they're crazy. I make one mistake in the snow, and I'm like, oh, please be gracious to me matter of fact we were at this trip and one of the questions we had on the a, on a whiteboard is this what's more important justice or mercy and jeremiah and i walk around and people were literally marking justice 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 we're in a culture where they don't want to give no mercy i mean if you make a mistake in this world trust me people are going to get on you people who are who just say i want justice i want justice and one person one couple doesn't strike mercy and I realized we're in a culture that's not really gracious, even if they, if they want all the grace towards them. Let me give you another example. We're at one of the talks, and, and one of the, the people who were driving in the same driving situation said this. He, he saw a guy speeding past him. Boom! He's driving very fast. And what happens? The police pulls him over, and he's like, Oh, look at this idiot. He got, he, got, he, got, he got pulled over. And guess what? The next exit that he was in, he came off the exit and got pulled over for doing 10 over. The exact same thing. But you know what his response would have been? Officer, we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. That's what I would do. But Jesus rescues us. He wants us to actually, in a, when we're caught in the act in a, of adultery, he wants us to actually come to him. He wants us, all the religious people, to bring us to him. But see, we think bring us to him has changed the action of what's going on. But he really, I think he's saying, bring this person to me so that their heart can be saved. So there's a hard issue, and he tells her to what? Go away and sin no more. So how do we respond to adultery? We respond with grace. Let us not be quick to pick up stones for the one who, for the one who is struggling. Let us not condemn the one who falls short just like you and I. There's probably people sitting in this room right now struggling with adultery struggling with the sexual immorality, and they'll never speak of it because they're embarrassed and ashamed of their own story. They don't don't understand that the freedom sharing your story does because they're they're afraid of the church. They're afraid of what will happen if they ever open up about it. They're afraid of of the condemnation that we as a church will put on them if they ever share what they're really, really struggling with. Peter has this idea of discipleship groups, which I think is an amazing thing, and I'm glad you're doing it. The reason is, in discipleship groups, you're able to get on that one-on-one level and share what's really going on, and the freedom happens. I'm in a Wednesday night group, and this Wednesday night group really helps me understand the weight of my own sin, but it also provides freedom in Christ, knowing that there's other brothers around me who are willing at the same purpose to grow in holiness towards our Lord Jesus the next way to respond to adultery is with repentance. The word repentance just means to recognize and turn away. Repentance does not always mean the action of the sin stops right away. So people say repentance, if you repent from your sin, you must never do it again. Matter of fact, I really believe that people who repent of their sins truly could probably commit the same sin a day later. Listen, why? Because repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change of action. When you repent of your sin, I'm going to say it again, repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change in action. That over time, as time goes on, as sanctification moves along, as your heart turns toward Christ and your heart starts to resonate with Christ, you will realize sins are dropping off because God works through you. I want to, put, I want to show you something. The man on the cross with Jesus, when, he, when Jesus told him that I'll see you in paradise, you think that all of his sins is all of his life then? No, he just died with all of it but it was paid for at the cross. See, Jesus' response to his teaching is grace. Yes, he teaches us to take sexual sin seriously, but how, but how he tells us, how, but also he tells us to know that we should be brought to him just the way we are. Like I said just now, you might be struggling with sexual sin, not knowing what to do, who to tell, or how to confess. The guilt and shame may be bearing on you. Come to Jesus and allow him to change you. You might be the pers- You might be the person on the other side of the, s- of the coin. You're armed with the stones and you, you're ready to judge, gossip, slander, brother or sister, caught in the act of adultery. Whether that's cheating in marriage, addiction to pornography or masturbation, or loss of the eye, looking at them, looking in... Sorry, lesson to I. I would urge you too to come to Jesus and let Him change you. See, that same boy we started the story with, the band was to start coming up and join me. At the age of about seventeen, he was then he then came to know the Lord, and so embarrassed by his own sin never ever talked about it. Matter of fact, it's so funny, he was still in the midst of the sin when he first became a believer and didn't know how to share, how to deal with this struggle. This boy was so hurt and so broken, he would cry himself to sleep, not understanding what to do, even as a believer. But the sin weighed on him and beat him to a pope. Matter of fact, you remember a pastor telling them before, that when I became a Christian, I took all my alcohol and I poured it down the toilet. Me and, and the, 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 the application he got from that is that I can't come to Christ until I'm ready to pour everything down the toilet. Because I need everything to be fixed. I need to be perfect. That's what he was saying. But it was when he realized that maybe if he would confess and maybe if he could come to, 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 read, to really come and open up about his story, that maybe it would change his heart to understand what his story would do. And then after that, he has been able to start groups to stop people from, from struggling with this thing. He's able to, to make people be open about their sin. I mean, all the partners he had, it didn't matter. This guy was struggling on his knees and he said, Lord, use my story. But the surprise of the story is that guy is me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, let us take our sin to the cross Lord, let us come to you how we are and change our hearts at the cross. God, let us lay our baggage at the cross and come as we are that you will change us in our hearts. God, help us to know you more and want to serve you in ways like never before. Be gracious to us, O oh Lord. You need my pray. Amen.